My name's Elijah. And I'm Ruby. And this is a podcast on faith and current affairs. Welcome back to another episode of Rough Edges. We are joined by Elijah's friend, Ed, and he's going to talk all what he does. He does lots of stuff, so we're going to get straight into it. Um, Elijah, do you ask the first question? Yeah, so Ed, um, where are you from and what does your work consist of now? Um, so my name's Edward Badu. Uh, grew up in North London, Tottenham. Um, that's where... Um, I grew up and went to school um, before going to secondary school a little bit further out um, in North London, Enfield. Um, so um, I went to a Catholic um, primary school before going to a Jesuit um, Catholic secondary school in North London, Enfield. Um, and I say, at the moment, my work consists of me developing an apprenticeship programme um, for an organisation, um, looking at how we can get young people that are passionate about public life and community organising um, into that sphere um, and into that world. Um, as well as that, I'm working with um, young people on really understanding sort of what their faith means to them um, and how that can play an active role in society. Mm. And how does your faith enter your life and what does a Christian be, like, mean to you? Um, faith is everything. Um, I know that sounds cliche and people sort of use it, use and say that on a regular basis, but um, yeah, it really does. I think for me, um, faith has played a massive part in my life in terms of giving me a sense of direction and purpose. Um, and it's something that I've really called upon um, when things have sort of been hard. I think um, for me, faith has almost been that anchor um, that's really supported me and helped me through um, difficult times. But as well as that, in good times as well, um, always giving thanks um, to the Lord and um, in terms of what the Lord has obviously done for me and what my um, faith means means to me. But in terms of just how I interact with other people as well, um, my interaction with other people and how I treat others, um, faith I definitely feels played a massive role there in really giving me that guidance um, and that support. Um, and clearly now it's obviously gone into sort of my world of work. Um, and it's clearly, I've clearly seen how it's played a massive part there. Um, so yeah, I think for me, faith is an integral part. Um, and it's really, I'll, I'll probably use the word anchor. Um, that's really helped me throughout that process. And I think that kind of leads on to my next question, which you've touched on already, but how does your faith impact the current work you do now? Um, it impacts it in, in many ways. I think it's, it's ultimately central to, to my work, but um, with that, it, it's very, um, it works in, in so many ways. Um, it, it helps me, um, but it also helps um, sort of work that I'm actually doing. Um, so um, in terms of how it helps me is, I'll probably say in terms of really me, me really understanding sort of my true vocation, um, and discernment in terms of what I've actually been called to do. And um, from my previous work where um, we were obviously talking offline and I was talking about sort of my, my career um, and um, I was in a corporate world for sort of 10 years and, mm. um, and I think for me that was a very lucrative and, and good industry and, and I did quite well in there. Um, but but um, I always felt as if there was something more. There was something more that I wanted to sort of offer um, the world and people that I could relate to. Um, and that was very apparent, and I think that's the reason why I obviously chose um, this path to take. Um, so it's definitely helped me in really understanding what my true purpose is and what my true calling is. Mm. But to go a little bit a step further, I think where it's all helped me um, and, and, and the reason why it's so central and so important is because it, it makes me really understand sort of the significance and the importance of this. Um, whenever I talk about the work, I, um, I talk about, I talk, the reason why I talk about 
the work that I do with so much passion and conviction is because I genuinely believe there's a, there's a real significance as to why I've been called to do this and there's a real obligation and duty there. And that definitely comes to sort of my faith. And, and looking at when I sort of grew up and, and growing up, I, I was fortunate enough to have been given sort of the platform that I've been given. And I now genuinely believe um, that the Lord has put me in this, um, this position to really help um, those who have come from similar sort of backgrounds. Mm. So I think for, as well as sort of vocational discernment, I definitely feel as if um, there's a duty there um, for me to be able to really sort of help um, um, those that are in similar positions to me, um, for those to really sort of see their true purpose and true calling, you know? And then in regards to sort of my work in itself, um, a lot of it really boils down to, okay, how are we able to work with sort of young people who are passionate about their faith, and who really want to make sense of it and how we can actually sort of see, help them understand that a little bit more but then how they can actually actively use that in everyday life and in society. Um, for them to be able to sort of see their faith in a way that's not secular to their, to their lives but is very much central um, and integrated in their life and that faith is not something that's very separate and then I have my everyday life but how can we actually integrate the two together and make it a thing um, so it's really supporting them through that journey and it's, it's a journey I think yeah. when it comes to sort of faith I think one thing that I really stress a lot is just that with faith it's a journey you know um, we believe about sort of seeing and, and I think ultimately that is um, the, the integral part of our faith and going every day and believing we believe um, um, and it's helping some young people really understand that um, how we can actually get to that place where um, faith is central to our lives um, and we do that obviously through whether it's biblical reflection um, we do that through sort of whether it's community organizing um, which is a large part of my work um, or if it's other ways but in any case the ultimate goal is helping them actually sort of understand how that can actually play a role in everyday life um, and then I think um, going back onto what I said is, is really sort of telling my story um, and, and seeing how they can actually resonate with that um, and seeing that just because faith plays a massive part in your life doesn't limit you from doing anything um, that you can still very much sort of lead a normal life but still making sure that faith um, is central to that as well um, so it's really supporting them through that journey and I think um, they, they talk about it obviously in philosophy and um, you gain knowledge through experience and that's epistemology um, so for me it's really helping those that are younger than me in guiding them through that journey because obviously what everything that I'm talking about now I didn't know before um, it came from sort of knowledge and experience it came from experience sorry so that's how I gained that knowledge so it's how am I able to support other, other young people um, in a similar position to me yeah because that leads on to the next question sort of like because you mentioned your own story is that how you decided you wanted to work with young people or how did God lead you to work with young people like is it just a passion you've always had or? yeah um, it's definitely a combination of, of of the two really um, in a sense where I've clearly obviously wanted to do this um, but at the same time I think I've definitely been led um, to, to, to come to this um, sort of position but I think ultimately where it's come from is it's time to really reflect I think I've had time to really reflect and think about things um, because you need to know like I was in a career and an industry which was very secure um, I was doing really well in um, and there wasn't any real reason as to why I should definitely sort of devote my life to really sort of working with sort of young people or um, in faith really um, but I think it, it came to a point I think for me where um, I really wanted to 
sort of, yeah, help and support. Um, and that was definitely something that was um, central to a lot of my work. Um, because I know a lot of these young people um, that were, um, that I've sort of worked with and I work with at the moment. Um, but I think for me, it was more a case of sort of giving time to really just reflect um, and think about, okay, what have I been called to do? Um, what have I actually been called to do? Because I think there's a, there's a saying that we talk about in life a lot of the time, and I think it's something that I definitely sort of um, hold a lot and, and I use a lot of the time in, in my life. And, and, and the saying basically goes that not every opportunity is your opportunity. Um, and going back onto the question that you asked in relation to um, what led me here, um, I knew obviously I was very, very passionate about this. But just like with anything, you're, you're, you, you can be passionate about so many things. Mm. Um, but that doesn't necessarily mean that you need to go and actually sort of pursue that. Um, so I think for me, it was a case of, okay, reflecting and really sort of asking, okay, what have I actually been called to do? What is it that I've, what have you actually asked me to do? Um, um, and I think this was it. Um, and this is why I sort of, I led, um, this is why I've obviously decided to sort of pursue this 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 route in in, in public life. Um, and I think for me, and obviously, which I'm sure we're going to talk about um, sort of later on in this in this in this conversation around um, my work that I've done sort of elsewhere and what I'm currently working on sort of with the two businesses that I run. Um, for me, it was a case of really reflecting and really figuring out, okay, what have I been called to do? Um, because yeah, we can get caught up in so many things that we think we're passionate about or that we're really good at, but that's not what we've been called to do. You know, sometimes we've got to be very intentional. We really sort of ask ourselves, okay, what is it that we've actually been called to do? What is it that aligns with my purpose, my values, my principles? And I think, think this was it. And it's clear that with the work that I'm doing here relates to all of the businesses that I'm running with, right. with the social enterprise that I run, with the social um, member space that I run. I think ultimately they all play a massive role, they all integrate with each other. Um, they're not by accident. You can, there's a clear sort of pathway. There's a real synergy there. Um, and now when I look back at it, um, this makes sense. Because I remember when I was in sort of, when I was in the corporate world or when I was, I was in, I felt as if like I was, I was almost in, I had to wear so many different hats. Whereas here there's a, there's almost a clear sort of pathway, you know? Um, so um, there's definitely a combination of the both, as to what I said before, a combination of me sort of, sort of saying, okay, this is where I want to go. Um, and also a powerful sort of, I definitely felt as if the Lord was definitely taking me down this road. But for us to get there, it's a matter of us really reflecting, taking time to really find out, okay, what have I been called to do? Um, and really understanding sort of who you are, but really understanding where your values and your principles are like, and then sort of making that decision from there. Sure. And someone who's involved in community organising, how does faith and politics overlap and what is the importance of both intertwined? It's, that's, that's, <laughs> that's an interesting question and um, I remember when you sent it over to us, I was actually sort of thinking about that um, a lot actually, um, because it's, it's, there's, that one is a, it's a very delicate one in a sense where um, there is sometimes an overlap for sure. Um, but at the same time, I think we definitely need to be very um, sort of careful um, with that in not confusing the two together. Um, because uh, when we talk about there's an overlap, I think there's a there's an overlap in 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 many ways in terms of I think we had this conversation sort of offline and when we sort of spoke about I think um, when it comes to sort of when you look at sort of faith and um, the Ten Commandments, for example. Let's take that for example, and one of them. Um, um, when we look at sort of um, murder as one of um, sort of the Ten Commandments and 
um, that I should not sort of murder. I think that's that's obviously one that in, in everyday life and in society. I mean, if you do obviously commit that act, um, you normally face sort of a life sentence or, or in certain states, um, sort of the death penalty. So you see where obviously Faithful played a massive part because clearly that's obviously derived from, um, regardless of any circumstance, whether you could even justify why you committed that act, it's still a wrongful, wrongful act and it's a sin. And in any case, you'll get penalised for that. So you see how um, Faith obviously plays a role in sort of politics or public life or whether it's sort of law or, or in that regard. But I think we've got to be very careful in sort of influencing sort of faith. Um, and, so, and I think we've definitely sort of seen that in, in society in the last sort of few years and decades where you've seen how, yeah, you could say politics or public life or, or views, um, people's sort of views and when it comes to sort of society can actually influence sort of um, faith. And I think we've got to be very careful in that um, and really respecting. And I think it really boils down to just respecting one's faith. Mm. Mm. And really respecting sort of where faith derived from, what faith is all about. Um, and really understanding what you're actually going into. I think a lot of time, if you're making that decision to, to commit your life to sort of faith and to the Lord, I think ultimately that's the decision that you've made. And, and a lot of time, we're not here to sort of frown upon anyone else to judge, um, but that's got to be respected. Um, and I think we need to be very careful in sort of confusing the two together. Um, so I, I, I definitely see, I see where it plays a role um, and it has played a role. But I think for me, I definitely wouldn't say that um, um, we, we should definitely integrate the two together or, or, or be in a position where um, we use sort of that as a way to then compensate for, for the other, not at all. Um, I, I would always sort of recommend that we keep the two very much sort of separate um, and respect the two as well. Um, and I've always, I've always probably said it's best to really keep the, the two um, to a separate to a certain extent. Um, and when I say a certain extent, I mean that in a sense where, yeah, faith, obviously if you if you want to lead a life of um, sort of um, faith, I, I see how that can play a massive role in public life. Um, and when we talk about public life, to a certain extent we're talking politics, because politics essentially is what happens around us. That is politics. We're not talking party politics here. We're talking real issue-based politics here. And when we talk about that, issues that affect all of us, whether it's social care, whether it's living wage, whether it's sort of the cost of living crisis that we're dealing with at the moment, whether it's sort of um, sociology in terms of how we sort of see um, sort of how the, the human race live together and how we integrate with each other. This is all public life. So, um, and how to treat each other. Yeah, that derives from essentially, obviously, if you're a man of sort of faith or a woman of faith, essentially, yeah, you, that can that can help you in sort of leading a certain life and that can help you in sort of, yeah, 100%. I can see how that can actually sort of play a role in there, 100%. But I think that's where it starts and that's where it stops, I think, for me, in terms of just leading a certain life and really using that as a way, um, almost as an anchor, as I said before, to really help you, sort of guide you. Um, but I think... I don't want to sort of go into that sort of that path which some do into then sort of influencing sort of change due to sort of faith. I think that's when it gets a little bit sort of um, yeah, a little bit complicated. And I don't, I would never sort of recommend using sort of faith as a way to then influence sort of um, change or, or politics or anything. I think essentially faith is there to really guide you and support you, and you could always use it as a way to really support you in your work that you do. Um, through, as I said, I use my faith in, well, it's not, I wouldn't say I use it, but it's definitely much um, an integral part of how I sort of act in society, mm -hmm. in the work that I do in public life. It definitely helps me and supports me in that and how I lead that. But I'll never use it as a way to then influence 
sort of change um, because I completely understand that that's not the way to do things. Um, you need to be very respectful of other people. I think in any case, you could definitely use it as a way to sort of support you and guide you. Um, and I think ultimately, for me, that's how I was probably sort of use it. But um, I don't know if how people make sense of that. Um, but I think ultimately what I'm just trying to say here is just that um, I see where the two overlap. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think we just need to be very careful in integrating the two together. Yeah, because like, that makes sense. As in, like, um, like it guides you. Um, and what you're saying is, like, you don't use it to, like, force your own agenda. That's it. You're, like, you're respectful to all people, even though they're exactly. not, like, on your same page. Yeah. yeah. But at the same time, you use it as well as you use it to almost help you in your work that you do as well. Precisely. Right, I see. Right. Precisely. Yeah. And I think that's how we should do it. But look, I'm not here to sort of impose or to... Yeah, yeah, I think everyone is obviously entitled to sort of leading their own life and seeing what makes sense for them. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think, yeah, for, for me, and as you perfectly articulated just now, it's a case of really not forcing one an agenda, mm-hmm. but really just helping me guide um, sort of how I actually sort of lead my life and right. lead the work that I actually do. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, cool. And um, so I read in your, like, little bio thing of like yeah. you were a commissioner to on citizen i can't even say it yeah. so what was your like role in like the tottenham riots yeah yeah sure no you you were spot on really um yeah so i was a commissioner on the inquiry into the tottenham riots so um i think this was actually an interesting point in my life actually was and actually the first time that I actually got involved in public life um so um so i initially got involved in an organization called citizens uk um, who are civil society alliance, an alliance of your pillars of the community who come together and try, try and work in broken communities. Now, um, I initially got involved through my sixth form and my school pretty much. Um, good, over, over what? Ooh, I can't believe it now. Probably what we're talking 12, 13 years ago now, so a long time ago. Um, and, um, and yeah, so we got involved and we merely actually got involved just to, because we wanted to do something different. We'd already been involved in um, a small group of us in our sixth form that would go out to the, the younger guys in our school um, and deliver assemblies on injustices around the world and what it meant to be what it meant to be men for others. Um, so um, our school ethos was being men for others. Um, so um, we, we we encouraged that throughout the school um, and we wanted to do something different. So we wanted to um, so we decided to sell some wristbands. So we made a bit of money um, and we thought, oh, it would be good to actually use this towards getting involved in um, something bigger, um, which we did. Um, and we got involved in um, this organisation and um, and they told us a bit about what they do. And they were actually merging into sort of North London. So we were actually one of the founding members of North London Citizens through our through our um, through our school and our sixth form. Um, and then there wasn't really much happening in our community um, where our school was based in Enfield and then the riots broke out in Tottenham, where I'm from. Um, and uh, for me, that was sort of a massive shock. I mean, in my life now, that was, what, the second? I mean, I was quite young for the first one. or Probably just, yeah, was it around my time? Probably not, but just near enough sort of when I was pretty much um, born anyway. But, um, yeah, you had the border farm rights and then you had the Tottenham rights. Mm. So clearly that was two rights in sort of a short period of time. I mean, we're talking less than sort of, yeah, yeah, short period of time in, in that happening. So clearly there was something not right with sort of... Um, what was happening in the community in terms of the relationship between local, uh, lo- um, local, um, central, local government, central government, and the community? Clearly, there weren't a synergy, and, and clearly there was a broken relationship there mm. as to why this was happening, and with authority in general. Um, or it was down to just people not really being happy um, in 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 
in that part of uh, London. And I really wanted to sort of see, find out what the issue was. Um, because yeah, it, that you could see people were really frustrated. Mm. Um, and I'm not here to try and condone sort of the actions of many, um, but um, it was definitely sort of a political statement. It was a statement saying, look, we've had enough. Um, so um, I was a commissioner on the inquiry. So we basically set out um, for six weeks. Um, was it six weeks? Yeah, I think it was six weeks. Yeah, six weeks straight. I think it was, yeah, pretty much six weeks where we did a listening campaign. So we, and then through the findings we had, we, we did a, um, a private hearing where we heard testimonies from people, um, from local community and local businesses. And then we had a public hearing. So a public hearing is where we had, so people actually talk about sort of some of the findings, um, sort of their experiences, had testimonies. Um, the local MP was there at the time. Um, we had sort of coverage from um, sort of some media platforms. Um, and yeah, it was big, it was big. Um, we had four recommendations, um, one being youth unemployment, we had the highest unemployment rate in London at the time. Just under 60% of young people were unemployed in, in London, um, in Tottenham. So you can see the extent and how desperate the situation was. Um, you had powerlessness. People felt as if they didn't have a stake in their community, so acted the way they did. Um, police and community relationships was non-existent and still is and I think we we can only sort of refer back to sort of just over two years ago with George Floyd and what happened there in, in the States and what's trickled down here in the UK um, thereafter with and people still having resentment with sort of um, the police and, and I still feel as if there's a lot that needs to be done there especially with the attitude with the police I mean you had the McPherson report back in the late 90s which obviously came out and, and spoke about um, sort of the, the police being institutionally sort of racist and I think we've um, sort of tried to obviously make steps and strides in making sure that we can try and address that. Um, but um, yeah, one would probably argue that there's still a lot of work that needs to be done there. Um, so, um, so I think that's still an ongoing problem um, and still an ongoing thing there. And that was definitely an issue that came up in um, the inquiry into the Tottenham riots and that the police and community relationship was non-existent. Um, and the last one was regeneration. Um, the, the, the area needed a revamp. Um, and just like many parts in London, really, um, I think that really boiled down to the broken glass theory, um, which they talk about in sociology. It's like when you see a glass that's broken and no one's fixed it, you feel like no one cares. And as a result, you carry on doing the same thing. Um, and that was definitely part of the reasons why people just carried on doing what they were doing. Um, so when there were the four recommendations that we came out with. And for us, it was just a case of, OK, how are we able to actually sort of address these four main things and I think for us they were the four main things that then led to people acting the way they did um, so um, we definitely wanted to sort of act on those particular things and I think for me one of the main things was around youth unemployment obviously being a young person at the time I was what 17 18 at the time so I think for me it was just that okay how are we able to sort of actually address this um, properly so yeah I was a commissioner on this I was the youngest commissioner on it um, and um, yeah we, we led this whole inquiry into the riots and quite proud of it I mean we came out with some good recommendations and we've seen a lot of change there mm. Yeah, and that's, that's exactly what my next question is. Like, have you seen much change in Tottenham and has it been for the better or for the worse? Because obviously you've got gentrification which has its pros and cons mm. and you've still got unemployment amongst young people. Yeah. So, so what's, what's your views on Tottenham so far? Yeah. Um, I think ultimately I'll say we're definitely making strides in, in, in going into yeah, the right direction and um, definitely moving into sort of a, 
um, an area which or a neighbourhood which um, I think people will definitely be pride, prideful of. Um, and, and we've done that through a combination of things, um, through listening campaigns which we, we spoke about, really working with some of the big developers that was coming into the area to really address some of the issues and making sure that we don't repeat some of the, 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 the issues that, we, um, that we've seen in other sort of neighbourhoods that we even saw in Tottenham as well. But I'll say ultimately I'm, I'm quite happy with the steps that we're taking in, in, in addressing some of the issues that we saw um, post-2011. You know, um, we worked with, as I mentioned before, some of the developers, um, in, and one of them in particular um, committed to um, one of their sites being completely affordable, um, which I'm very proud of. I mean, I worked with them for about a year um, in seeing how we can actually sort of um, address that and see if that's something that's actually quite pragmatic, pragmatic and is that actually a possibility? And they, um, and we worked on that, and I can proudly say that we did. And 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 prior to that conversation that was going to be merely about 15 to 20% affordable housing. And now we can turn around and say 100% of that particular site is affordable housing. And, and when we talk about sort of the question, you make a good point around gentrification. And obviously that's something that's always been tackled, tried, tackled for, for years. Um, how are we able to make gentrification sort of um, good for sort of masses as opposed to just a, a particular sort of group? Um, and, and I think there's there's ways in which you can do that, and I think we did that through sort of um, working with those that are actually going to be working on um, a regeneration um, project and looking at how we can actually cater for those that could potentially get pushed out. And I think we did that in making the area um, a different, certain um, development affordable, looking at um, making sure that we can support local businesses in making sure that they stay in the area and not get pushed out as well. And then opportunities. Mm. I think ultimately when it comes to sort of when you're revamp, um, regenerate, re regenerating an area or when we look at um, gentrification, one of the biggest issues there is are you going to be able to deliver um, opportunities for local people? Um, and we were able to do that. I remember... Um, um, yeah, so, um, so I feel as if when it, when, it, when it comes to that, it's just like how are we able to sort of address um, sort of opportunities for local people um, and really providing those opportunities for them. Um, and I think that's one area in which we've looked to sort of address and providing sort of opportunities for local people when um, looking at um, due to sort of the amount of investment that um, the local area is going to get, are we able to allocate these opportunities for some of the local people in the area? And I think we've tried to do that and making steps to do that. Um, but I definitely think this is a process. I think in any case, whenever it comes to these things, I think we need to be very... Um, so pragmatic but we need to understand that this is a process and it's not going to happen so overnight and we need to take steps in making sure that we get there um, and I think that's what we've tried to do um, and I've seen it sort of firsthand um, that we're definitely taking the right steps in doing that um, and I think we're, 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 we're definitely going to get there um, um, so I'll say ultimately yeah I'm, 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 I'm happy with the sort of the steps that we've taken but I still think we're, there's obviously a long way to go um, but I think people are very aware of that and so what do you think is like the main reason for unemployment in young people or like criminality as well um, and how can the average person like help to overcome this yeah um no that's a good question and there's so much that needs to sort of be done there but um i think there's so many things that we can really talk about when it comes to that um because I, I genuinely do believe that every sort of young person or every situation is different. Um, and, and I think a lot of the time we need to sort of look at it in that way. I know sometimes that's not as, 
Um, that's not practical because it's so hard to do that. Um, but I think we need to be very aware of that that every situation is different. Um, so we can't sort of sort of almost say this is sort of one reason and that's ultimately the situation. Not at all. Um, so there's a number of reasons to why um, sort of that is. And I remember being on an advisory board to um, a project which looked at youth unemployment across Europe and looking at the transition of the labour market. And one of the, the issues that came out, um, or one of the, the findings that was um, sort of addressed in that was actually something that was quite interesting, something that I've never looked at, which was around sort of how easy it was to actually dismiss sort of a young person. So um, we were comparing how hard it was to dismiss. Um, and what I mean by dismiss is um, pretty much um, sort of, yeah, whether it's um, a matter of um, someone losing their job um, versus um, someone, yeah, staying in, staying in a role. And it was interesting that um, in certain states it was much harder to um, dismiss someone um, rather than sort of um, actually um, looking at other sort of states. So you looked at sort of other states and it was actually very easy to, well, not very easy, but it was, it was fairly easier to actually um, sort of dismiss someone. And I think that was something that I was just, okay, that was interesting. I think for me, a lot of the time we always focus on, um, oh, is that young person equipped? Um, do they have the right sort of skills and tools to be able to sort of um, actually get that role or to, to be able to... Um, um, secure the, the the role that they're sort of looking for but I think a lot of the time there's other areas in which we never actually sort of considered and overlooked and one of them was yeah um, how easy it was to actually sort of dismiss some of these young people and when you look at certain young people they actually had roles but then what happened was they'll probably um, sort of dismissed or um, lost their job and um, and through sort of quite sort of trivial things um, whereas I know in other states that probably wouldn't have been the case um, but then yeah there's, there's obviously um underlining sort of factors that play a massive role here which I think are quite obvious and that we can definitely address where it's they're not obviously given the right I feel anyway they're not they're not given the right sort of tools and skills um, to be able to thrive um, in the work environment I think um, with a lot of the conversations that I have um, we talk about um, being proactive um, and I look at so some of the young people that I've worked with and I think the issue that we sometimes face at the moment is just that they're obviously not as proactive and don't do what they need to do to get to where they need to get to. Um, so um, so uh, it's, they're not preparing themselves um, as quickly or as early on to be able to then um, be ready to, to be able to know how to navigate and, and behave um, in a working environment. Um, so then when you're in that position, it's very new to you and as a result, you may not thrive as sort of some of your other counterparts. So I know that plays a massive part. Um, the lack of opportunities as well. I don't think there's, well, obviously there's been, there's been a lot that's been done now in the last sort of few years in regards to providing more opportunities for young people, but I still feel as if there's a lot that needs to be done. But I think one of the, the biggest things that I've recognised over the last few years um, with some of my work is awareness. Yeah. It's being aware of the opportunities around you. I don't think we're as aware of the opportunities around us. I think there's so much opportunities around us, but yet we're not aware of the opportunities around us. And I remember being at sort of the last firm I was at, and I remember they had a people's officer. And actually, for someone who was so big on sort of personal development and on people, and I never knew that was even a role. I thought it was just merely HR and that was it. But then there was a role around people's officer, really. And so little things like that, for example, which was, um, I remember actually someone that I worked with a couple of years ago, um, and um, he went to, he was, um, 
a recruiter, but internal recruitment for um, for a firm. And I remember he went to a jobs fair and he was talking to a young person there and he said, oh, what are you looking to get into? And the young boy must have said, oh, I'm looking to get into um, finance. And he was just like, oh, what firms are you looking at? He, was, he named a few of the um, big financial firms. He said, oh, have you ever considered our firm? which wasn't a financial firm, um, service. And, and he said, no, I haven't considered that. Like, why would I consider that firm? He's like, well, we've got an accounts department. Or we've got like a financial department. Like, like it's not just, so I think, um, but I think for us obviously it's just, we always feel as if um, we always just look at the obvious and we're not aware of all the opportunities around us. So it's making sure that we, we help each other um, and support each other and making sure that we're aware of the opportunities around us, you know? Um, and I think that's definitely one of the, 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 the issues that we face in addressing sort of youth unemployment, making sure that we're aware of some of the issues around us, as well as all the other points that I made before. Yeah, yeah, sure. And what's, what's your long-term goals in your career field currently? Oh, I've got a few, to be honest. I've got a few. Um, I've got a few, but I think for me, um, ultimately, just to encapsulate everything that, um, that I'm about to talk about, just in response to this question, is a saying from Nipsey Hussle, um, God rest his soul, and um, and um, he basically spoke about um, the highest human act is to inspire, and I think for me um, that's that's ultimately sort of my goal is to inspire sort of the next generation, is to inspire people around me. Um, for me, it's definitely to be able to do that, to inspire. Um, in, in everything that I do, whether it's through the work that I'm doing um, with developing this apprenticeship program to the, the social member space that I run to the, the social enterprise that I also run as well, is to really inspire. Um, and for me, it's really to, I really want to set a platform and, um, um, and something which is sort of very tangible um, for young people to be able to use effectively mm. in sort of actually pursuing whatever they want to pursue. But m most importantly, is to really help them reach their true potential. I think for me, um, the the turning point for me was I was given a platform to be able to really sort of understand who I was and to really start stepping into sort of my greatness and really sort of sort of saying, okay, um, how can I actually sort of pursue um, the career or the pathway I want to sort of pursue, you know, uh, and how do I actually reach my true potential and I think for me that was definitely the turning point in, in not only sort of being aware of that but being given a platform um, to do that so I think for me it's really being able to give other young people a platform to be able to um, pursue um, the careers they, they want to sort of pursue and to be able to really reach their true potential um, and then as well as that to really be very intentional with the culture that we're creating here um, I'm very aware of sort of our generation are very aware of the of the fact that I think what we're seeing in London in particular is um, we're seeing a culture and um, that's never been seen before in London and in the UK um, a lot of us are what first second probably third generation um, and a lot of us are going into sort of spaces that we've never been in before like, and when I say we I'm talking about sort of our family's probably never been in um, you talk to a lot of people they're probably the first in their family to have gone to university probably the first to have really got um, some of the jobs they've got and I think we've got to be very intentional with how um, we, we conduct ourselves how we sort of behave moving forward because ultimately we're creating a culture for generations to come um, we are the first of kind I mean I know 
I'm pretty much the first of my kind to, to have got into some of the roles that I've got, got, got into, um, to some of the organisations that I've worked with. And I know me and my brothers have been, yeah, we've been the first to be able to do that. I mean, of course we are, because um, we were born here. My parents were sort of born um, back in West Africa, Ghana. So um, I know I'm first generation, so a lot of everything I'm doing is the first of that kind. So we've got to be very intentional with the, with the culture that we're creating here. Um, and, and I think I'm very aware of that, so I really want to help support that. And I think I'm doing that through my social enterprise. Um, through my social member space, um, through um, through creating this space um, that allows people to be part of a community, um, that allows you to be able to network, connect, um, and I think we just got to be very intentional with that. So, as well as sort of some of the work that I'm doing um, in in supporting sort of young people, and as I said before, we're making sure that um, they can really reach their true potential. So, I think for me. Um, that's definitely the path that I feel as if I want to lead. Um, and that's where I'm going to sort of um, gear a lot of my focus towards. Mm, sure. And um, you've met Prince Charles. It says Prince Charles, but now it's King Charles. <laughs> what was that for? Um, so that actually um, was for the work that I was doing um, when I initially got involved in public life. So what we spoke about with the... Um, the inquiry into the Tottenham right. So um, King Charles, um, now that we refer to him as, um, he came to Tottenham um, to with the Prince's Trust um, to look at how they can actually sort of support um, and help um, sort of um, Tottenham in this um, this journey that we're going on in in regeneration and um, supporting Tottenham following um, the, the the rights. And and what was interesting actually with him, I actually met him twice in the same week. Um, so um, I initially was asked to meet him through just the work that I was doing um, and I remember sort of the time I was just like no way like you had to rehearse not rehearse but you had to remember how to obviously greet him and I remember I need to make sure I don't mess this up I need to make sure I don't mess this up and then it became a thing where oh you're meeting him a few days later and I was thinking this is becoming a thing now so um, I'm thinking what am I going to meet him again <laughs> so um, so yeah so I met him twice um, just to talk about some of the work that I've been doing and then listen to his vision on what he wanted for um, Tottenham and, and North London and it was interesting it was quite inspiring to see that he was keen on um, bringing about real change in that community but I think the Prince's Trust has done some amazing work as well I know a lot of people who have um, been involved in it. Um, and I think, yeah, it's an excellent sort of organisation. Really, really good, very supportive. Um, but um, yeah, so I met him sort of twice in the same week. Um, I don't know if you ever remember. Um, so if he's ever listening to this, hey. Um, but um, but um, in any case, yeah, it was it was really good sort of meeting him and um, yeah, very inspiring. But I think for me on a, on a personal level, it just showed how far obviously my work had come. And I think it really urged me and spurred me to keep on going. Um, so um, yeah, it was it was very refreshing to meet him for sure. Great, thank you, Ed, man. We appreciate that having you on. No worries. And um, if anyone's got any questions, please forward them to us um, via via Instagram or contact Ed. I'll put his details on the Instagram. And yeah, and I just want to sort of say a massive sort of thank you to you guys. Really, um, I think the work that you guys are doing is is amazing. Um, I've seen some of the people that you've had on your platform, um, and I think it's incredible to see um, that you're shedding light on some of the amazing work that some of the these people are doing. Um, and I think it's important um, that we have these conversations, you know, to to inspire um, and to really gain knowledge. Um, through so what other people have gone through and I think the work that you guys continue to do is incredible so not only with this platform but independently I think obviously I know 
you guys sort of on a personal level well Elijah obviously really well and obviously sort of met Ruby um, today but um, I think the work that you continue to do is incredible and keep it up and no, thank you for sort of having me on the platform today um, and hopefully um, the platform continues to grow um, and you get the right people on it yeah. oh, thank you Ed thank you. Thank you.